Good morning, comrades, and welcome to the 26th chapter of the Perthian Chronicles and the first episode for 2018. My name is Ryan Morano, and today with us we have an incredible artist. Yeah, Paul Wurzel Montague is an award winning professional stand up comedian and actor with more than 15 years' experience. The Western Australian newspaper described him as the king of Perth comedy. As an actor, he has credits in film, television, theatre. You would have seen him starring, directing, producing and writing in the Super Dingo online series or bringing an interesting aspect to Santa Claus as a part of the Henry and Aaron's Christmas specials. Wurzel holds a BA in Drama Studies with Edith Cowan University. He has also served on the National Nomination Panel for the Helpman Awards for Comedy and was the WA Workshop Coordinator of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival's Deadly Funny Indigenous Comedy Program. He was a First Third Ministry Specialist for the Uniting Church Synod of WA. He has also directed a production of Othello as a part of Perth's 2015 Fringe World Festival and Wurzel's awards include a 2015 Fringe World Best Comedy Award for Pirate Church, and the 2012 Perth International Comedy Festival Artists' Choice Award. Welcome, Wurzel. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Good to be here. Is comedy a serious business? Uh, it certainly can be. And um, for, I guess, for someone like me, it should be. I've been performing comedy long enough now and, and had enough periods of my life where I was dependent entirely on it for, uh, for you know, for an income. So... Um, yeah, and I'm certainly, um, I take it very seriously, and I, I, I get um, sometimes, I get frustrated with those who, who kind of treat it as a bit of a, you know, a bit of a lark. To me, you know, people who are just kind of, just, just think you can rely on, you know, funny, <laughs> it's, 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 it's not enough. You know, comedy's a serious, it's a serious craft, and people don't like talking about that because the whole conceit is that you're just funny people make it up in the moment. But, um, you know, the world's truly great funny people who make it look completely effortless. They work hard at it, and uh, it's, it's a craft and it's a discipline. And I, I reckon it should be respected as such. I'm, I'm kind of I'm grumpy and old and boring like that. <laughs> Do you love comedy? <sighs> look, that's a... I think the short answer is yes, but I... I love comedy like I love my parents, uh, in that there's <laughs> there's a lot of my life where I wish I never had to see them again. So it's a uh, it's one of those bonds that is always kind of there and draws me back. And there's been plenty of times um, in more than twenty years where I've said to myself, "Oh God, no more comedy. Get away from it. What are you doing?" But it's there's something, there is something special about it, and certainly I've been fortunate enough to have enough of those gigs where something really special happens in the room, and that feeling of a large group of people all belly laughing together, there's something quite, it, it is a special thing. It's also very independent comedy, you can be quite selfish, as a stand-up comic, it's just you getting to a gig, so imagine people have to deal with, you know, I don't know, in theatre productions, if, you, if you're a musician working in a band... You've got a whole lot of relationships and logistics to deal with, whereas comedy's kind of, there's a nice, um, it's portable and, and flexible. And, yeah, that's pretty cool. One of the very few, very curious things... Okay, now, please do not get offended. I, I'm, I, I might be stepping on a, a, a metaphorical line, landmine. 
Who named you Wurzel? Ah, uh, yeah, look, I really wish that was an interesting story. Um, so, amongst my group of best friends, um, growing up, we all just had a game over the years of giving each other stupid nonsense nicknames. And in fact, I was probably the ringleader to that to a large degree. And I had a bunch of stupid, just almost like Dr. Seuss-esque nonsense words. And we'd all, we'd all call each other that and whatever. And, and so eventually... Yeah, um, and they evolved because we would keep, we would keep trying to step it up and annoy each other, and make them more and more ridiculous. And I think I don't know, I might have been about sixteen when one of my mates switched up this changing evolution of of, uh, of nicknames to Wurzel. I think that was the first one that annoyed me. Um, <laughs> so, but it just stuck like it does. And um, I remember filming my first open mic comedy spot as a twenty year old at the Laugh Resort Comedy Club at Pockets in Perth. And yeah, I just, it, it went really well for a first time. And I got off stage. And the one thing I could reflect on is that my name, Paul Montague, is not funny. Um, I remember Dave Callum was emceeing that night. And um, I just remember him saying, now a very funny book, Paul Montague. I'm like, oh, that's terrible. Um, great name for a bank manager or a lawyer, but just yeah. not, just, just didn't have that stand-up comedy thing about it. And... Um, I got off stage and was, was debriefing with my mates and they said, they said, oh, it was great. And I said, yeah, I feel like I might need a stage name. And they said, oh, well, what sort of stage name do you think was? And I was like, oh, wait, I've kind of already got one. And so that just became that. And I started performing under that name and um, then eventually opened a business and a room under that name and it got to the point where where Paul just kind of got lost because people would call up and, and say, can I speak to Wurzel, please? And, and that was just that. And eventually when I started doing some work on radio and for the ABC and suddenly ended up you know, going from being the guy who did the sort of funny human interest stories to doing serious stories and then I sort of had to add my surname back into it so Wurzel Montague became this mm. um, became this thing and, and strangely enough no one ever questioned the Wurzel they thought Montague was the made up bit so, yeah because when I was reading because oh, I was thinking of Romeo and Juliet the, the Montagues and yeah 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 yeah. so yeah everyone thinks I'm pretentious enough to sort of co-op that term, <laughs> that name but people don't question Wurzel which is yeah strange it's an interesting name I like it because it's got a Z in it Wurzel you don't, you don't have many names with Z's no <laughs> no look at, it's weird and, and growing up with the name Paul I was very shy um, in high school and um, there's one thing about the name Paul probably I don't know if it's in every accent in the world but certainly in our accent it's a really hard name to articulate mm -hmm. if someone says to you what's your name you say Paul and they say sorry and you say Paul <laughs> there's not a Paul Paul if they're not hearing it it's a really hard name to kind yeah. of enunciate right we say someone says what's your name and every time I've just said Wurzel no one's ever questioned that yeah. everyone's like what can you repeat that um, so yeah odd what comes to you when I mention Father Chris Bedding oh god that guy uh, <laughs> Chris Bedding is one of my favourite people in the world one of my very best friends and one of an extraordinary creative partner in that um, pirate church couldn't have happened with anybody else. Yeah, look, he's... Uh, I, I love betting to pieces. Um, he's a... Uh, and I think we've been, we've been friends long enough now and, and worked closely enough now and, and toured and done all those kind of things for years. So we kind of do have, I think, that brotherly relationship where we kind of, you know, love each other and piss each other off and, and um, you know, we have our... Uh, various forms of dysfunctions and our idiosyncrasies in working and um but yeah he's um he's extraordinary and and uh and i guess i, 
I suppose too to focus for a moment on the religious kind of spiritual side mm. it's uh I've always really seen myself um I came to Christianity kicking and screaming in my 20s after wanting to be anything but. And I've always really seen myself as a, a bit of an alien or, or an outsider in that kind of... The various permutations of Christian culture, which are usually more concerned with the language you use or the kind of the sort of behaviour you present to the world. Um, you know, it's quite superficial in a lot of senses. Whereas, to me, betting, there's something much, much deeper going on for him. He's much more about, you know, justice and the way society work. And, you know, there's an openly and, and a political dimension to kind of his religion and his spirituality. Like, he's, he actually cares about the way the world works. He, he doesn't get caught up on, on, on the words that come out of people's mouths or the, as, as far as, you know, just reducing religion to minding your P's and Q's. Um, so that gets him in a lot of trouble, but it also, to me, is utterly uh, admirable because, yeah... Because so many times uh, Christianity is just reduced to this, well, you know, you don't say fuck and you don't be gay and somehow you're going to get into heaven, um, which just does my friggin' head in. So, yeah, look, I love betting. There's times I want to throttle him, but he's, he's uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, love and respect that guy. What is Pirate Church? Pirate Church is a love letter to religion that is born of frustration and vitriol and it's a parody show with with some really vicious satire kind of sledging and slamming all the ridiculous hypocritical mindless and thoughtless things people do in the names of you know their various gods but particularly particularly um christians and christianity and the show, the Pirate Church part of the name, the show also includes this kind of weird alternative reality kind of church service, this liturgy, which is in a whole other place, this, this kind of pirate world, where rather than the trinity of like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a trinity of the deep, uh, the captain and the ghostly parrot. And, and this, this kind of narrative of these kind of, these, these, these pirate rebels um, you know, sailing in defiance of the Armada. So it's a, um, yeah, there's this sense of, it's this kind of rebellious, loud, raucous, rum-drinking, swaggering kind of a waving of the fist at, uh, you know, at, at hypocrisy and bullshit in the world. Um, you know, with some songs and sketches and, and kind of, yeah, it, it's uh, it's weird. It's not a hard thing to market or sell, uh, but the people who come... Um, seem to get it yeah um sadly i have not yet and i'm still and hopefully i believe you've got a show on the 20 this january the 21st saturday the 23rd no sunday sorry sunday the 21st of january. always on a sunday yep yep um of course yeah <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah um i'm desperately want to see it i've always said there's check pirate church on facebook there's these wonderful like uh, skits and videos and i saw this one you wonderfully did with the city of Perth, and you were promoting the Comedy Lounge. Mm -hmm. It was just absolutely beautiful, funny stuff, people. Check out Pirate Church on the Facebook. Previously, the reason also I really wanted to interview Wurzel, because I had this great chapter, um, some people might remember chapter 16, when I was talking to Father Chris Bedding, um, and we did obviously talk about the relationship between art and religion, and it seems like, well, one, a perfect marriage of sorts, a very strong, historically strong uh, relationship. And I just wanted to get your thoughts. You know, where does art fit into religion? 
Hmm, I think your answer would differ depending on the religious person you asked. Um, I know for me, as someone who's um, primarily lived life and, and made a living as an artist, I've found some religious people incredibly frustrating. So religion, uh, well, people who are motivated by religious ideologies uh, um, can, particularly those with a kind of, unfortunately religion draws a lot with a fairly authoritarian kind of personality type, who will use religion as a tool for censorship and oppression of ideas. And, um, like, I, I don't know, you might be too young to remember this, but the, the, the huge North American evangelical Christian backlash against um, J.K. Rowling's early success with the first few Harry Potter oh, books, God. that was massive. Oh, there was this huge, huge um, sort of, um, you know, Christian right media campaign around that time that J.K. Rowling had signed a pact with Satan and that she was seducing children to witchcraft and all this kind of... And, and it was, you know, it's the sort of thing now that would look like satire and parody, but they were deadly serious. Um, and, and so there's a... Yeah, that, that makes me... I'm, I'm incredibly sceptical and, 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 you know, uh, I, I get very pissed off at that, that kind of thing that it even gets kind of airtime. There are people that are so kind of closed-minded and so enculturated to that kind of nonsense that if their megachurch pastor stands up and says something that ridiculous they'll just take it on board and propagate that you know those lies and 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 so yeah i find that kind of cultic behavior like it, like it's one thing if you if there's 16 of you and you're meeting in a shed in the outback and you call yourselves the red druids and you you, you do your little rituals and then go about your life when 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 that kind of that cultic behavior then crosses over into media and across social media and and starts to permeate the wider secular culture, that kind of does my head in. And yet, as you say, historically, there's been some amazing, you know, the, the, the historic relationship between religion and, you know, and music and, 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 and the visual arts. And, you know, as a student of theatre, you know, the, 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 the church kind of kept alive um, during the Dark Ages, in, in Western um, uh, culture at least, you know, things like literature, even theatre through the Corpus Christi. So, you know, it's been at times, uh, I guess, a kind of a champion and kind of um, nourisher of the arts. But there's, there's many times these days where I just shake my head. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I think, I think in very broad terms, like like ridiculously uh, sort of clumsy brushstrokes, there are those people who are drawn to spirituality and religion because. They want the world to be bigger, to be more mysterious, to include more. They they want they want the picture to be constantly opened up, and 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 they're open to to wonder and inspiration, and they'll they'll hear it and see it and feel it in places other than the kind of prescribed, you know, religious channels. Um, you know, uh, but on the other hand, there are a lot of people drawn to religion because they want security and certainty, and they want they want kind of the idea of truth nailed down, and they want to know what's kind of you know you know to to sort of co-opt the the Islamic words. They want to know you know what's halal, what's haram, mm -hmm. um, you know who to who to kind of hold in suspicion and judgment and condemnation, and and so that yeah. But I think also maybe, but that the the what appears to me to be the injustice about that kind of provokes art as well. So those, those things that, that piss you off or sadden you or uh, uh, frustrate or challenge you, you know, that, that, that pushes the button, which then, you know, creates great, hopefully great, you know, and probably lots of shit too. Um, but a <laughs> lot, lot of theatre, a lot of comedy, a lot of music, a lot of, you know, yeah. yeah. What is a quality that a performer needs to succeed? A quality? Wow. 
Whew. Uh, needs to succeed. Well, okay. First of all, you're assuming I knew anything at all about success, um, which, which you know, I, I, I thank you uh, for your <laughs> feedback, compliment, or your naivete, one way or the other. Um, look, I, I guess just curiosity, I would say, is the biggest thing. I wonder what happens if, and and holding that even in the moment. So, and I guess the openness to listen in, in a moment. Um, yeah, adaptability, knowing when to change things, not holding on to anything that is so, you know, so it becomes so precious to you that it becomes, yeah, not to lock anything down too hard and just to keep wandering, keep searching, not get so satisfied or so comfortable that what you're doing kind of becomes product rather than art, I think. Product and art, yeah. Mm. Not, not, not there's anything wrong no, no, with but, yeah. yeah I'm just I love that phrase yeah product art and I think I think that's the first time anyone's no I, I shouldn't say that but I think we don't in this podcast series I, I always ask you know and, and why not it's, I think it's a really good uh, damn question <laughs> um, <laughs> pat myself on the back now <laughs> um, but yeah curiosity uh, do you think in terms of curiosity, because I think I, 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 I really strongly believe, like, out of all the people I've interviewed, you know, um, they've always had other art, different artistic endeavours. So, you know, you'd also act, you also write, like yourself. Mm -hmm. um, you'd do a whole array of the different arts. Mm. Did you ever have, or do you have, like, a, a fear about, you know, being a jack-of-all-trades? Do I have a fear of it, did you say? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Anna Piper Scott, great uh, comic, um, local comic. She, uh, it's 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 one of the jokes I've most wanted to steal. She refers to herself as a, as a jack of all non-essential trades, um, <laughs> and that I love that phrase so much because yeah, it really speaks to me. So I've just turned forty-four, literally a couple of days ago, and oh. I'm just hit that point where I'm going. Look, everything I've ever done is kind of creative in some way. It's talk for a living in some way, shape, or form. Whether that's been on stage or on the radio or or presenting workshops or whatever the thing is. And so, you know, and I'm, I'm quickly realising that, you know, I have no actual hard skills of any kind. And, and um, so, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's hard. I, I, um, I think it's, yeah, I wonder. So it, it is a, and, and it does, it certainly doesn't lead to financial stability or security. Um, so that's a, that's a tricky one. But that, that jack-of-all-trades things, I, I do like it. I do like it a lot. One of the things I value about myself is I can sit down with, a lot of people in a lot of different works of life, you know, whether they're sort of, you know, blue collar or white collar or whoever they are. And, and, and um, you know, I certainly feel like I've walked enough miles amongst enough different groups of people to have a fair, um, or at least a reasonable degree of empathy for where people are at. And, and to be able to, so that's, um, so I, yeah, I don't know that phrase, jack of all trades. I know, I know that notion of being a traveler. I think mm. that's very important, of not getting too comfortable in your own kind of circumstances, not living too much inside kind of, you know, echo chambers and bubbles. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't think, I don't know how many of us truly like having our ideas challenged or, uh, but you've, yeah, I think you've got to be open to, you know, to, I guess, constantly being exposed to your own limitations. And again, that's what I was saying about being curious before, because that, that really is... I find that that's that that to me is the key kind of active discipline because 
I know for me it's very easy to go, oh, I know how that's going to turn out, or that's not going to be a good idea, or oh, that'll be, you know, so, so making those assumptions rather than actually pursuing you know, the journey where something goes and having a kind of almost like a scientific curiosity, like, look, let's, let's try this experiment and see what bubbles out. So there are times I wish I just did something for a living. I just had, I just had a thing. I was just like a, a diesel mechanic. I just, just a something um, <laughs> that I had. But I also know the way my mind's wired that, you know, I would quickly start looking around and yeah. wondering, you know, what else I could be doing. So, Did you have... I, I have... Because you've also got a Facebook page, people. Wurzel stands up. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> trying my best, doing these podcasts here. I'm trying my best to segue, but it, I, I just, I'm, I'm not. I'm learning. I am learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. curiosity. Just keep going. Travel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, because the one th- I was looking at your Facebook the other day. I think it's your Facebook page or somewhere, and you have performed in New York. Mm. I'm just curious. Have you had? Obviously, Perth has been a major home base for your artistic practice, but have you ever had, like, another artistic practice in a different state, Melbourne, Eastern? Yeah, but only for short periods of time. So, you know, I've done a few months in the U.S. There's been a couple of times where I moved to Melbourne for, like, three months at a time. Uh, uh, My daughter is almost 18, so I've been a dad since, like, I was mm, 26 or something. So I've never really you know, had this kind of, I've never really had a serious interest in kind of setting up anywhere new. And I always kind of had this, this kind of grumpy defiance where I think, I think Perth is starting to accelerate now in terms of its coming of age as as an artistic hub. Um, in, In that, what I mean by that is there's always been great art and great artists here, great music, great, you know, um, all kinds of creative endeavours, but I think now a mainstream commercial audience is just starting to wake up to that yeah. a little bit. People are actually driving in from the suburbs during, say, mm. Fringe World and seeing shows, and, and that's a huge, huge shift. But I, you know, having you know started out in comedy more than 20 years ago, and, and we watching so many great people get lost to the Perth scene over the years, we used to have such a talent drain in the early days. People would come along and, you know, find some kind of you know, find some confidence and start kicking some goals and then they'd move off to a bigger market. So for me, my whole thing was always sort of like, I'm not going anywhere, you know, which, but and, that, and that's not to hang any shit on people who do. I think um, it takes a, you know, a real amount of curiosity and courage to sort of pack your life up and yeah. go somewhere else and start from the bottom in a bigger town. But for me, it was only ever purely, you know, it was just going to see just going to experience you yeah. know and set myself that challenge you know there is something really humbling about uh you know just when you think you're going well you step into a new city new culture new um new rooms new crowds new expectations and you know you quickly find that you know what you've got into a comfort zone doing isn't going to fly so you've got to retool um New York, for example, made me a lot more aware of the need to sort of just have some tight one-line gags um, yeah. in my set, for example, because my, my long-winded lyrical storytelling stuff, um, you know, was a really hard thing to put over in, like a, in a shitty five-minute open mic spot um, in New York. So, um, yeah, so those things all teach you something. I'd be very curious performing in another country because of the, the cultural context. Mm. And I'd be very, very afraid of... if. Like if if I was doing like a play, I'd be safe. But doing like a, a stand-up comedy, a, a comic a routine, you know, basically you've written it yourself. It's been well developed for an Australian audience, mm. but tackling an American audience with different, you know, that different cultural context. Mm. Um, yeah, 
Americans are interesting beasts. Like, they're, they're kind of... And it wasn't until I, I, you know, went over there that I really kind of got it. Just how polite they are. They're, they're quite, um, you know, they're, they're quite decent people. By which I mean kind of courteous and, and um, they're very earnest. Yeah. Um, whereas Australians, we are so laconic, unsarcastic, and uh, we take the piss out of things that we even love very greatly. Um, and that's not broadly an American thing. Americans, you know, they say what they mean, and they're careful about how they say it, and, uh, hey, buddy, good job, um, which is not a thing that, you know, yeah. <laughs> Australians say to each other. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's a, um, you know, you, you try that. You try just, 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 just sincerely affirming another Australian and just watch the look on their face, you know, because they'll they wonder what the hell you're trying to, you know, sell them or what you're up to or, you know, <laughs> when, when the kind of sting in the tail is coming. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's... It's it's a very kind of different thing. I think, you know, sometimes my comedy can be quite, um, at times, depending on my mood, quite misanthropic or quite melancholic or quite, you know, because a, a room full of Australian people, you can kind of jump up and without saying it, the words directly, you can kind of go, ah, we all know life's broken, everything's a bit fucked. Um, <laughs> and Australians are like, sure, what else is new? Um, whereas Americans are like, oh, well, I don't know about that. Um, so it's... <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting, but even to be honest, I, sometimes you know when I was younger, certainly I, f- I found Melbourne just as just as hard to figure out, just because it was a more back then, especially the um, the cultural divisions between the the between Perth and Melbourne were so much greater. Melbourne was more cosmopolitan; it was more you know. So yeah, yeah, you you, you find those those things, and and sometimes they're not obvious. Sometimes you got to perform your stuff. And again, it's always listening. It's always knowing what the room is kind of connecting to, not connecting to. Mm. Um, yeah. Do you, in, in a room that's not working, do you enjoy those... Do, do you take those moments of, okay, this bit is not working, do you take those moments, okay, I'm learning something? Or depends, it, depends. There, there are a f- occasionally just those horrible train wreck gigs where it's just shit. You're, you're just like they've just they just hate you for some reason and um you are not going to get them back and whatever you do at that point will be the wrong move you know it's a bit like trying to chat someone on a bar who just is just flat out uninterested or you know finds you unattractive um you just there's just, there's just no you know there, there there is no right move other than to walk away um so it's yeah yeah it's but there are but yeah that's the thing i guess and you do panic. I, I certainly, you know, you're more susceptible to panic, or I was um, early in my career, less, being less experienced. But these days, usually, if a part of the show isn't going as well as I would expect it to, then I can usually stop and go, okay, you know, um, change tack, slow it down, whatever the, you know. It, it, it's funny, you can pick a, you know, and you never know quite know what the right thing to do is at the time. Like sometimes, you know, Sometimes you're going too blue for a crowd and they want you to make it friendlier and safer. Um, sometimes you're working with a crowd and you're not being blue enough um, yeah. and they want you to swear more and get dirtier. And um, Sometimes you're not being political enough. Sometimes you're lost on my being political. It's, yeah, so it, it's a, again, it's always, to me, listening and adaptability. Uh, there's, there are some great comics out there who have had tremendous success by just sticking to their guns, whatever whatever the you know um mm. whatever the thing like they're, they're not going to compromise what they do and they're open to the fact that you know 
the crowd might hate them, they might die on their ass hard. But for me, I enjoy that dance of, of um, figuring out the win-win. As I mentioned before in the introduction, um, you directed a production of Othello, mm. which also had uh, a friend of mine, uh, I, I know her Nick Cat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So what does Shakespeare mean for you? Oh, I, I love Shakespeare. Um, when I left the family farm, uh, as like a 19, 20-year-old to study theatre, I that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be Ian McKellen. I wanted to be... Uh, <laughs> I wanted to be like a classic virtuoso British um, sort of, you know, sort of like one of those rada-trained kind of yeah. actors. And um, maybe because I felt some... Having grown up on Montagues, people always making the connection between Romeo and Juliet and whatever. I just had this fascination with Shakespeare. Um, and, and the first time it was like stuck in front under my nose in like year 10 in high school, I just flat out didn't get it. So I, 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 I really wanted to kind of, yeah, and it, it just became my passion. And certainly in my undergrad degree, I kind of specialised in Shakespeare. And, and then it probably wasn't until my 30s after going off and pursuing stand-up that I started to get cast in sort of uh, in, in theatre and, and um, so you know did some Shakespeare in the parks and did some professional Shakespeare stuff and and and, and I just loved it so Shakespeare to me is um, in a sense it's a whole different understanding of theatre to me to get Shakespeare you need to understand stand up you need to understand vaudeville you need to look at things like hip hop and performance poetry like it, it's it's in, in Shakespeare the, the the language is music you're not so much going to see realistic you know television style acting you, you you're going to see it's something more like uh, it's people throwing down these words at each other and imbuing them with life and passion and uh, um, and it should be you know big and, and and dangerous and unpredictable and um you know to me good shakespeare is actors speaking directly in the audience and and and, and doing the unexpected and, and really you know the word actor didn't exist in shakespeare's time was player and and you're just given this amazing poetry and you're there to play it and 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 play hard like if you're playing football that's my two cents so it's a you know i sometimes see very careful clean shakespeare this kind of terrible slow it right down and just perform it like, and it's, it's dead it just dies yeah. it's it's ter- horrible um but when you see a great shakespeare company um i always come back to uh, a british company called propeller an all-male company that have that, that, been a couple of times to the the perth uh, international arts festival their henry v i saw a few years ago was just extraordinary it was wild and adrenalizing and it, it had that energy of watching yeah. like you know full contact sport um and and so yeah, Shakespeare is just, um, it's just extraordinary to me. And, and, and it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just a complete nerd for it. Is there a, do you have a favourite play? The short answer is no. I could probably ramble on a lot to give you like a short list of, of my favourites. But, um, n- I mean, no, I, I've, I've, I, it's hard for me yeah. to, um, probably in terms of ones I've performed myself, I still have a real soft spot for, for a production of Julius Caesar I did because I was cast as Mark Anthony and that's not the kind of role I get cast in mm. generally and I just chewed the scenery with that I had such a good time um, uh, all those big big great monologues after yeah. Caesar's assassination are just just extraordinary that was an absolute gift but no I've had some very 
fond memories. Yeah, look, it's a yeah to me. Anytime you get you get handed a good lump of verse, it's just yeah. Because I'm very curious. Because one of the fringe back way back in 2015, mm. one of the shows I did meet was your production of Othello. Okay. And I'm very curious because that play, because obviously many great people have talking about it. I remember this interview with Stephen Fry, and he's talking about. Because he was doing, I think at the time, I think it was actually the around about the same time you were doing Othello. He was doing a production of Twelfth Night on Broadway. Mm. Was it Twelfth Night? No, yes, it was Twelfth Night. And he was talking about how in Othello, because I think, isn't it technically, it's a comedy? No, it's a tragedy. It's, it's a tragedy, it's, I it, think. Is it Because he was saying, well, he was saying how actually the plot is quite comedic. Because mm. if you think about it, you know, the, the, the well, hero, Othello, mm. You know, he just changes all because of a handkerchief. Yep. You know, and that's quite comic how he found he finds his handkerchief to prove, you know, the infidelity yep. of of his of his wife. Yep. And it's funny, like having Stephen Fry talk about it, like it can almost be played like a farce in a sense, but then at the end it's quite tragic. A, a lot of the things we think um, we kind of scrutinise Shakespeare's plays by a much later kind of ideas. So, yeah. so you know, it, it, the idea to me that Shakespeare is taught as literature in um, in high schools, like you, you can you can somehow interpret Shakespeare like you interpret a novel, um, is just nonsense to me. And, and and even even those notions, those genres, like you know, comedy, tragedy, whatever, that they're kind of later impositions on Shakespeare. You know, Shakespeare was 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 broad entertainment for the masses at the time and you know it, it was it was spectacle and it was big it was it was like this kind of massive heightened arena kind of soap opera and people didn't go along you know sort of thinking oh this has to conform to the structures of a comedy a tragedy a romance a whatever um you know they didn't have this expectation of a genre they knew they were going to get a big cracking show and you know all the all the tragedies have clown characters in them mm. and um you know there's there's funny monologues in all the most brutal and sad and gory plays and there's there's moments of deep kind of pathos and, and and sadness in all the things that we think about as the funny plays. So it's, I think, you know, and the language is so strong in Shakespeare that you can make, you know, a lot of choices. And, and I think the, the, you know, the actor has so much freedom and creativity that as long as you can make the words connect and make sense, you know the the idea is that there's a, there's a right way to play it. Yeah, to to me that's kind of a that's a, that's a, that's a strange idea. My my own prejudice is, is, is that Shakespeare should just always be big, mm-hmm. um, should always be like dynamic and alive and animated. But in a sense, I mean, animated is probably a good word to use. Like it, it's 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 a bit like you know, Shakespeare in a sense it, it has almost like a cartoon sensibility about it. You know, it's it's it, it, so. It's when it's when people try to make utter psychological sense of it <laughs> that that I go well, not not necessarily. It's just this. I mean, it's a bit like you know Romeo and Juliet. I think it's one of the most misunderstood plays of all times. And actually, I think a massively overrated play. Um, it's one of the ones that doesn't get deserved to get performed that often. I don't think. But you know that that play is just complete silliness until the point there's an error in the postal service. Then it turns into this weird you know, emo suicide pact thing. Um, but again, for the audiences of Shakespeare's day, that would have been cracking yeah. entertainment. Like, what's happening? Oh, it's kind of a, you know, these young kids are falling in love and, oh God, now it's all going wrong and oh, their family's killing each other and, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just big entertaining stuff happening. Um, yeah. What are you looking forward to, to 2018? <laughs> um, that is a really good question. That's a really good question. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I've, I've recently gotten out of that whole sideline of doing stuff uh, with the church. I was working for the last five years for the Uniting Church, and I've decided that's that's reached an end, which it needed to. Institutionalism, institutionalism and I don't, don't um, make uh, the most comfortable of bedfellows. So it's time to get back to something, and I'm not entirely sure what the something is. So it's, um, yeah, I guess right now I'm beginning the year with a bit of breathing space and a bit of clarity. Like it would be my kind of personality, kind of historical personality kind of, uh, to kind of latch onto a new idea and, and sort of you know, go rushing towards that. Whereas I'm trying to, yeah, just be sensible and take things slowly. And, um, you know, I'll be uh, doing some stand-up to kind of, you know, pay bills and stuff. And I'll be doing, um, I'll be doing pirate church because that's, you know, that, that's a, that kind of has a life of its own. And it's a, but other than that, yeah, I have this sense that there's there's something that hasn't quite dawned yet there's a theatre project there's something I might write there's but it's um you know I don't want to tie the muse down uh too quickly yeah. sort of let it, let it percolate do you have any concerns uh for Perth's art industry do I have any concerns yeah I guess I have concerns like I have concerns for every kind of I, th- I think it's just bloody hard I think anyone who wants to make I think artists in general are people that need a lot of affirmation, a lot of encouragement, a lot of support. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing. I think artists are very prone to burnout, uh, to perfectionism, to um, I think creative people, particularly passionate creative people, often have some fragility around uh, mental health stuff. They, uh, you know, I think they often put a tremendous amount of um, pressure on themselves because. You know, I certainly get that up as, as growing up as the creative one in a family. You know, you've often been the butt of the, oh, just give up your dreams, get a real job, you know, kind of thing. So you, you feel this kind of, you know, um, need to constantly validate and, and kind of prove your self-worth. Nothing you ever do is not good enough. So, and I think in any creative industry, people are massively vulnerable to exploitation. Massively vulnerable. Um, so, you know, you can get you know, to the wrong kind of people, and I've seen many come and go over the years, can really just, you know, exploit people in, in horrible ways. And, you know, I mean, at the one simple end, just underpaying them or, you know, but it can get far, far worse than that. So, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a tricky place to work in. And, you know, it's a, I think at either end of life too. You know, a lot of, I see a lot of people sort of approaching middle age and older who just kind of, who kind of give up their sort of artistic creative goals later in life because, you know, they just need financial stability, they need some sort of things. And I see a lot of young people who, who are kind of just chasing every last thing, you know, so hard, they're going without sleep, they're, you know, they're sort of working so hard, they're working with crappy bosses who are taking the piss, they're, you know. So it's, yeah, I, I, I think anyone who's, I think that the life is always um, adventurous. I don't use the word adventurous to glamorise it. I, I, I mean that you know, with all the the kind of negative um, a life of adventure involved, you know, like, um, yeah, the kind of hardship. So, and I think, I think government always takes the piss with the arts, always, mm. you know, they'll, they'll say all these wonderful things about it, but, you know, the, 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 the really, the, the love and support it's given is, you know, 
you know, or certainly in Perth, and I guess it's, this is probably true of many cities around the world, you know, there's a couple of chosen kind of institutions that will end up sucking all the funding, um, and the government will pat themselves on the head, and, you know, and they, the big corporate sponsors will put all their money there as well, and, you know, they'll say, oh, we've got this theatre company, or this opera company, or this ballet company, or this, you know. Mm. And so we can all rest because the art's done. Um, <laughs> so, which of course, you know, just leaves opportunities for, for all the, because um, the interesting stuff comes from those who are who are who are hungry, you know, and, and want to, you know, yeah, do something outside the box. But those voices often get, you know, they're starved out. I remember seeing on my um, Facebook feed. Uh, I, I don't know which organisation is it. I think. Some Perth, was it like there's like some artistic hub or uh, there's some this I think I don't know it, it keeps hitting and I keep seeing this advertisement they're looking for um, artists to participate in this national survey for a mental illness and I and I think oh my god well because I think it is rampant in, in this industry mm. and with that in mind <laughs> how do you cope with stress <laughs> I don't uh, yeah look so. Um Part of my story is I have bipolar disorder, um, so um, uh, type one. Uh, it's good to win at something. Um, so that's, and the management of that is basically almost a daily discipline. So for me, I have to, I have to manage stress so carefully, or it will manage me very quickly. Yeah. So um, for me, uh, in recent years, I've learned that I have to live a super clean. Uh, lifestyle, which um, <laughs> doesn't fit my historical patterns. Um, you know, I, I loved partying and, and drinking and drugs in my uh, early adulthood, and I've, I've had to learn that for me, um, yeah, that's an absolute. I've got to keep my gauges very clear in a sense. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't have intoxicants of any form generally in my body because I need to be very aware of where my body's at, my mind's at, my feelings are at, um, to not lose the handle. Uh, I have to manage sleep very well which is something I do not like to do I'm a nocturnal creature by by habit um, I love burning the midnight oil writing something or you know it'd be very easy for me to sit up all night I don't know either working on a new project or playing video games or whatever the thing is so yeah I actually have to live this kind of um, quite boring um, regulated existence which is everything my personality kind of um, sort of fights against so and I guess for me I've really had to learn to be okay with disappointing people um, um, depending on where because because I mean you ask specifically about stress but stress for me will go straight to yeah you know anxiety depression uh, it can push me up towards hypermania so it's there's a yeah for me it's always a real balancing act the 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 to me walking that line of going okay, I'm feeling really discombobulated by stress right now. I'm feeling like I'm in a really bad place. So knowing when to turn up and do the gig and sort of push through that challenge and, and affirming for myself that, you know, despite feeling like I'm off, I can yeah. get things done, I can achieve things, I can... But also knowing when to kind of throw my hands up and go, no, I, I need rest, I need seclusion, I need, you know... It, it's a hard one. I don't know how to give anyone any advice on that because it's... Uh, I think it's always difficult and it's always different for me I make sure I see a psychologist very often I um yeah. I see I see my GP a lot who's brilliant and just just keep an eye on my health um generally because yeah yeah I think it's I think it's a very real thing I've, I've certainly lost a lot of friends to, to suicide over the years or you know who have, who have fallen into 
you know, really severe forms of illness who just train wrecked their lives through, you know, um, you know, relationships fall down, marriages break up, you know, people kind of, so it, there's a, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a key easy answer for that. And I find, uh, I certainly, to stay at peace, um, to me is, a uh, yeah, it's, a, it's difficult. It's, it's very, very difficult. And it takes a lot of, um, a lot of patience with which I don't have in abundance. <laughs> Who or what influences your work? Mm, that's a really good question. Uh, I think I just love stories. Growing up, I just rapidly consumed TV and movies and comic books and sci-fi and fantasy novels. And, and um, so to me, a cracking yarn is always a cracking yarn, uh, whether in whatever format that comes in, whether it's written down or performed or, or whatever the thing is. So, and I, I did absorb so much stuff, including a lot of comedy, growing up. Um, certainly, a lot of uh, a lot of British comedy uh, growing up, and then it, around, I don't know, maybe yeah, there was, a, and then I just found sort of the, the American sort of stand-up style on on vinyl LPs, and and just it just became kind of quite entranced by that, that that kind of musicality of the of the spoken word. Um, particularly punctuated by punchlines and laughs, and I just thought that was a beautiful thing. But I think these days, what really inspires me is I, I really like collaboration. I really like getting together with a group of people who are creative and all bring different things to it, and and that that kind of that dance, that conversation that happens, that something is 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 born from that, you know, that 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 shared kind of. Um, that sharing of ideas and energy and whatever else and, and inspiration comes and so but yeah I just I just think life is weird I think people are weird over over here snippets of conversation in the street all the time and I just I just think it's hilarious I think I think the words people choose to say to each mm. other in various moments are just are just strange I just think people are are beautiful and odd and 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 broken and just yeah kind of hilarious um and uh you know i guess uh, and, and that to me is just always somehow inherently interesting you know what people choose to say in moments of stress or awkwardness or even when they're inspired or full of like excitement or yeah that's a very uh, incredibly long-winded answer but i i guess it's just it's it's just yeah it's it's yeah it's just people people mm. absolutely I think people can play an important part if we had like a metaphorical artistic palette. Mm. I think people would be definitely a colour or, or a thing. Oh, people are so many colours. They're just wacky. We are a wacky, wacky animal. There's, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to come back to Pirate Church. I, I do, we are running out of time slowly, but I'm just curious, with Pirate Church, because I think that's just, just the idea, the concept is brilliant and it has, and it did have, and it does still have the, the, potential to uh, I don't know it has this interesting relationship with bringing people together with religion you do talk of like rebellion mm. um, but it's very interesting how it, it connects and also promotes it in a, in a nice warm sense like religion has that ability to be you know um, active and, and caring and loving and, and you know good it mm. can definitely be good mm. do you see Pirate Church exploring other mediums because it's obviously a live yeah. performance. Yeah. 
I don't know. We, uh, Betty and I kind of have these conversations and or debates all the time. For me, I think the juice of Pirate Church is the... Uh, is the fact, for me, it only exists in the moment with the people who are there. So it's, it's, it's an immersive experience. So for me, Betting and I aren't Pirate Church. The gathered people are Pirate mm. Church. And people's laughter and their, their, their boos and moans when we go too far, their, 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 them singing along songs with us, all that kind of, you know, the looks on their faces. It, it, it's a, that, the energy that's born together, that's, that's what Pirate Church is to me. To me, like a, a Pirate Church, you know, TV show or radio show or, or something would be a completely different um, beast or animal so that's that's what I love about it I, I love the that kind of chaotic spontaneous you know it, it's 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 a little bit ugly and a little bit dangerous uh, and it's uh, that to me is is what it is and what it should be you know I, I don't yeah that, so that that's that's my two cents on it um, and I'm sure Betty and I will go on having that conversation um, for a very long time since but um to me, it, it, it happens in the moment. There's something kind of glorious and ephemeral um, kind of about it. It's a celebration. It's a, yeah. And I think, I think for a lot of people, and it's, it's hilarious to me and remarkable how many people of some kind of deep religious faith come to the show. And uh, they find something in Pirate Church that maybe makes their day-to-day frustrations with their own faith or religion feel okay because Pirate Church names the truth of how you know it's all a bit messed up but it's it's somehow okay there's some meaning in this so even though we're just you know we're human beings getting it wrong and, and, and messing this stuff up there is something in that resistance of injustice and bullshit there is um, that is you know, that is profoundly worth getting on with. And laughing at the darkness together, in a sense, like like, like laughing at our own failings and society's failings, uh, at kind of being raucous in the face of despair, um, I think that's a really... I mean, that, that's a powerful thing comedy can do, full stop. But I think it's... Uh, I think for people of a certain... For people who have had that institutional religious culture as part of their life, yeah. part of their upbringing, have some familiarity with it, I think it's... Uh, I think that's what uh, that's what draws them in. I wanted to. I'll ask you for the sake of it because I'm very curious. But it works. The one thing, why pirates? Hmm. Honestly, the the name only originally came. It was something that stuck in my head from my childhood watching the goodies. So there's an episode where Graham goes batshit crazy and he starts a pirate radio station uh, in a submarine under a lake in Scotland. And um, most of the episode is um, uh, Tim and um, and Bill sort of intervening and trying to bring him back from the edge of madness on his pirate radio kind of rampage. And the callback kind of after the credits is after they've talked Graham down and he's, he's kind of admitted this pirate radio thing was all a bit of a, you know, um, bit of a bad idea. He, he, he fires up right at the end of the kind of the, the callback gag is he goes, what about a pirate church of England? And, and, um, and that kind of stuck in my head years. What about a pirate church of England? What even is that? Um, so... We, I never really thought about it in terms of literally pirates. Like, yeah. arr, like I, I, I thought about it like, like a pirate church, like an unauthorized church, yeah. like a, a bootleg outlaw church. And so, yeah, once I met Betty and we got chatting about it, and he was like, I think we've got to put actual pirates in this thing because people are going to be expecting pirates. And, yeah. and, and which seemed like a wacky idea at the time, but that's become the whole, the whole kind of energy thing. You know, pirates, 
whatever they are to us archetypally and mythologically, you know, they, they suggest that kind of, I don't give a shit and I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm full of rum and bad intentions and uh, um, there's, a, there's a wildness about it, you know, yeah. and, um, um, and something wonderfully working class too, I think. I think religion can become so bloody naff and kind of middle class and safe and careful and, and, and pirates are anything but that. So, yeah, to me, just, just thematically, it's one of those tensions that, yeah, <laughs> just breaks it open. Yeah, yeah. Well, Wurzel, uh, time, beautiful. We're on schedule of finishing. Um, but before we go, mm. the catch with the Perkin Chronicles mm. is that I do definitely plan this, and I've got plans in motion to make sure this does happen one way and another. In the year 2027, well, in this case, maybe in the year 2028, I'd like to revisit you in this capacity for a, a catch-up uh, episode. It's like the 7-Up documentaries. Yeah, yeah, actually, exactly. <laughs> You'll see if, yeah, I'm like homeless on the street somewhere. Yeah, it'd be amazing. <laughs> you know, I, you're the very first person who's brought that up because I was thinking, it won't be long now until <laughs> someone mentions that. Yeah, exactly like that. Yeah, okay. So in the year 2028, mm-hmm. what would you, Wurzel, like to plug in 2028? Yeah. Oh, wow. Look, honestly, I expect by 2028, I'll kind of be in deep hiding like Bradley Manning. Um, so, I, I, that's a challenge I want to set you. If you can track me down in 2028, um, it'll probably involve the dark web. Um, you'll probably have to meet with someone called Angela uh, in like Constantinople. Um, yeah, look, man, honestly, I have... The future is so open to me. I, I expect to still be living in WA in 2028. Other than that, I really don't know what I might be doing. I love, I do love the idea that I've had um, some sort of fiction book published by them and people have read it and noticed. Mm. I love that as like just, just a personal kind of vanity goal. Um, but that, that's... But yeah, that's that, that's that's the only bar I'm going to set because um, you know I don't want to sit here in 2028 and uh, you know have you read a list of shit I haven't done. <laughs> I just feel bad about myself. No worries. Well, Wurzel, thank you very much for being on the Perth in Chronicles. Thanks, Ryan. It's been a pleasure.